Welcome to Writing Questions, Episode 6. This week, we learn what it's like to write in the United States Army. A soldier in the United States Army should always be able to do three things. Shoot, move, and communicate. When you watch movies about the Army, you know, there's always that classic scene where you know, there's lines of soldiers running, and then there's the drill sergeant running next to them, and they're singing songs, right? You know, I don't know what I've been told, you know, that sort of thing. Well, shoot, move, and can communicate is one of them. So it goes, it goes, uh, shoot, move, and communicate. <laughs> shoot, move, and communicate. So that's my friend Peter Nguyen, um, and he takes these three tasks very seriously. So I'm a captain. There are 10 available ranks. And I am the third rank. So there's a second lieutenant, there's a first lieutenant, then there's the captain. The captain is the action officer. Okay, he's the person who puts all the nuts and bolts together. He's the person who puts all the puzzle pieces together. So I was a communications officer. Now I am a public affairs officer. And a better, better way of saying it is I manage public relations for the Army. Like uh, like Jason Bourne or something, when I asked him about any actual battles he'd been a part of, he was intriguingly mysterious. Have you been in a battle situation before? Uh, not that I can talk about. Okay. So, this podcast, Writing Questions, it's, it's all about exploring the role of writing in our lives and cultures. So I sat down with Peter to learn about what writing looks like in the Army. We had a great discussion about tradition, about bureaucracy, about giving and taking orders, and how writing is both what greases the wheels of the great machine that is called the U.S. Army, but also one of his biggest frustrations as a leader. Now I should point out that I talked to Peter as an old friend from college and not as an official representative of the United States Army. The views expressed by Peter are his and his alone. What did you want to tell me about being in the army and writing in the army? Uh, that it's 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 terrible. <laughs> <laughs> writing in the army is terrible. I've kind of forgotten what life outside the army is like, so I'm not even saying that it's uniquely our problem. But one, it's highly conscripted. I mean, it's highly prescribed. You know, you will write the following way. And it's not always the best way. Maybe it's the best way 70% of the time, but it's just not good communicating. Now, what was most interesting to me about Peter's comments about writing in the Army was how closely he linked writing style to personality. Passive language people in the Army uh, don't make the cut. It's very high adrenaline, high testosterone type speaking. And it's terrible in terms of actually communicating. Those who talk the loudest and talk the fastest and get their point across the quickest will be recognized as, you know, high speed, you know, ranger, who, uh, you know, is a great soldier. Whereas the person who actually attempts to add perhaps some context or depth or, you know, background to what they're trying to explain. Yeah, that that person is not going to get listened to. Yeah. The phrase that's used all the time is bluff. Okay, bottom line up front, all the all the time. You know, people. You'll be uh, in a brief. You'll be in a meeting where you're standing in front of people, and sometimes you'll get someone who monologues, and very rudely, the commanding officer will say, "All right, buddy. You know, STFU. 
what's the bluff? All right. You know, what's the bottom line here? What do you want us to do? Peter attributes some of the problems of communication in the army to the traditions that have been passed down through its history. I mean, we're, we're a profession of arms, okay? We've been to war many, 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 many times. Mm-hmm. And we've created formulas for how to create the best plans in order to kill and save the most number of lives um, at any given time, okay? And some people, like me, think that the process constrains the thinking. When, in fact, the army believes that the army has just created the best method of thinking. Even after venting his frustrations about navigating army politics, Peter assured me that he loves the army for the speed and surety with which it can accomplish tasks. I love the army. I love the army's mission. I love what we do in the army. But there must be compliance, right? Like, it doesn't work if it's a democracy. There must be compliance. And with compliance often means squashing discussion. And I like to discuss. Uh, I like to talk about things. If I have a concern, I tell my boss. And if my boss buys into my concern, he tells his boss, and so on and so forth, until it reaches the appropriate level of decision-making. You know, it's a pyramid. And it's extremely frustrating. It's extremely frustrating. So in its four-month officer training program that Peter took, um, the Army only gives a three-hour course, one three-hour course on writing. The Army relies, for the most part, on the writing training that their officers receive in the university. The university is training Army officers in communications. So Peter earned a bachelor's degree in communications before joining the Army. So we're hoping that they have a base skill in writing. But being a communication major actually really helped me out a lot. And, and it's because in journalistic writing, you, everything is bottom line up front, right? Like the lead. You know, you put the five W's in and then you slowly build out the details from there. Uh, and that's very, very similar to army writing. If you're in a fight, like in a firefight, you don't have time to elaborate. Mm-hmm. You have to be as concise as possible. Now, the main document that makes things happen in the Army, the main thing that Peter and I talked about, is a document called an Operation Order, or an Op Ord for short. It's this 15, 20-page document that outlines what it is that you're going to be doing. The main purpose of these documents is to give the who, what, when, where, how, and why to everyone involved so that the Army can carry out its work, which is to perform military operations. Opwards are specifically written so that efforts are coordinated, everyone is prepared, everyone has all the equipment they need, they know where to be and when to be there and what to do when they get there, sometimes who to attack when they get there. Um, And at the end of the day, that's what these documents are. These documents are meant to make the soldier as lethal as possible while also balancing their safety. And the operation order follows a very specific format. And what it does is that it breaks down all of the elements of the plan so that uh, the enlisted troops can read it, go out, and and execute. Now, this tightly regulated writing style 
that Peter finds frustrating, it takes the form of five paragraphs, but not the regular five-paragraph essay that you would normally think about. Each of these paragraphs in an op word has its own purpose. The first paragraph is the situation. And all it does is it tells you, why are we here right now? Like, why are we in this situation? What brought us to this point? What um, events, what things in history, uh, what battles brought us to where we are? Um, the next paragraph is the mission statement. The mission statement has to answer four of the five W's, and it literally has to be who, what, where, and when, in that order. So who? Alpha Company. What? Attacks a bunker. Where? At grid location, blah, blah, blah. When? 1700. Oh, and then you'll, you, you might put a Y in there in order to piss off the enemy. You know, like, it has to be written in that order or it's wrong. After that, the next paragraph is the execution paragraph. The execution paragraph takes up 70% of the document because it tells you how you will go and accomplish the mission. And the first subparagraph in the execution portion is the commander's intent. And this is like a, a huge narrative. And it is written from the commander's point of view. So he'll say something like, my intent is for the platoon to safely go and lay down lead on the enemy and obliterate them. And it's supposed to it's supposed to paint a picture so that that platoon leader, who is usually a second or a first lieutenant, knows what the end state of the operation is. The fourth and fifth paragraphs all give details about the equipment needed to accomplish the task, lays out the plans of how everyone will communicate with each other. As a captain in the army, Peter's job is to either receive and carry out operation orders or to create them. And then part of his job is what he describes as a pretty terrifying experience is to get up in front of high-ranking officers and present the plan to them. The creation of an operation order, even with its really stiff formula, is still difficult to produce. Collaborating with other people is never easy, um, but it seems especially difficult uh, in Peter's situation in the army. But the thing is, is that, right, it's the army, it's the military in general, and everybody wants to have their, you know, finger in the pot. Mm. Everybody wants to be part of building everything. Mm -hmm. um, but everybody's an A-type a personality in the army. And on top of all that, the subjects of these operation orders are real people in really dangerous situations. You, there's always that fear that as you're making the PowerPoint, and then after you've made the PowerPoint, you're writing the actual document, that you'll leave out some detail that could cost someone their life. Yeah, you heard that right, PowerPoint. This is something that took me totally by surprise in our conversation. Apparently, PowerPoint presentations are as integral to the operations of the U.S. Army as guns and helmets. So the cliche is, is that everything is created twice in the Army. It's first created on PowerPoint, and then it's created into a document that's read. Everything is created visually first on PowerPoint. So we throw maps up there, we throw pictures of army men up there, 
Uh, we have arrows, you know, showing troops maneuvering across a map. Uh, and then we get the brief. The creation and presentation of an operation order is a trying experience for all involved. If you're in Afghanistan and there's a firefight going on, um, and you receive an order from your higher headquarters to go take objective alpha, I mean, you don't sleep. That's it. Like, the planning process will take place over 12 to 24 hours, um, and then at the end of that 24-hour period, you will brief the general. Um, and in Afghanistan, downrange on a battlefield, there, there are these weird off-brand energy drinks. They're called rippets. And you'll see, you know, the room is just filled with these, like, energy drink cans. I mean, they're just everywhere. Every, nobody has slept in 24 hours, and you're just hoping that whoever the action officer is whoever the person's going up there to brief the general, that it's going to be, that it's going to be coherent. Right. You're just hoping and crossing your fingers. So that part at the end where one of the drowsy captains who prepared the op board is supposed to get up and present the plan to the high-ranking officers, that can be a hair-raising experience. Yeah, and so you'll have this captain stand up in front of, you know, very high-ranking officers, and that for that captain is a is a make or break moment it's it's a kind of crucible for him it's very high stress type situation because when you're presenting a plan to somebody that other person's goal is to kind of poke holes in it and your goal is to not allow them to poke holes in in it peter told me about one time in particular uh i was in djibouti africa and just recently uh, in Afghanistan, some bases had been infiltrated. Some 15 Afghan insurgents, organized in three teams, first got through a fence on the eastern side of Camp Bastion, right by the... And so my, my general issued an order for us to review base security. And I was the communications officer. So my job was to make sure that uh, no matter what happens on the base, uh, all elements are able to communicate with each other. The entire planning process probably took about roughly two weeks. Well, eventually it came down to the actual brief. So there's the, there's the major general there. He was a tanker. So this is a dude who spent most of his career inside of a tank blowing stuff up. There's the brigadier general there. The brigadier general was a former Navy SEAL. There's uh, the senior enlisted advisor who is a Marine Sergeant Major, and it came down to the communication plan. And I stood up and I briefed my plan, and, uh, and I stood up and I said, I said, uh, sir, I was like, who is the communications officer here? Who is the subject matter expert? Because the plan that I presented to you today is the plan that's going to work. Uh, and then the Major General, he just looked at me and he said, giddy up. So one of the most important purposes of an operation order is to give commanding officers and platoon leaders a glimpse of the big picture of what's going on overall so that they can go to their troops and provide them a context and an understanding for them to carry it out. So whenever you receive an operation order, uh, that officer is supposed to read it, you know, like, like breathe it, eat it, smell it, and then that language is supposed to become part of his or her language. 
And so he will go to his platoon sergeant or first sergeant, and they will have made the operation order their own. And they will say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what the intent is. I need you to go get the troops together. Peter told me about how difficult it is to be the guy that has to pass on information and command the troops to do something that they may not fully understand. It's incredibly hard because you got to realize these plans are made at like three or four echelons above me. And so by the time it gets down to me, you know, sometimes some of that intent gets a little bit lost. And all I have are marching orders, you know, but that's not what the troops want to hear. You know, they want to hear what their part in the bigger scheme of things is. And so sometimes you've just got to like stand in front of them and fake the funk, you know, and give that inspirational speech that, you know, you hope, you hope is inspirational. Um, But really you're going off of this, you know, very formulated document that was made by people well removed from you. And you've got to make it your own. (laughs) Uh, We got this operation order and I had to take about five of my troops and go send them off to another unit, to to a unit of strangers, people who really don't know them from anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I got the order. And when I saw that this thing was supposed to kick off in 48 hours, what that means for me is I need to go to these soldiers and tell them, hey, I need you to cancel your life. I need you to, like, drop everything, you know, cancel any plans that you had with any family, uh, cancel, you know, any any courses that you're in right now. I need you to fill out that, you know, military exemption form, you know, throw all of those, those good grades on that homework and good test scores, throw them out the window you know, and go support this training effort with this unit of strangers. And oh, by the way, I need you packed in 24 hours. And then in 48 hours, I need you on the road. Um, But I can't say that, right? I mean, I, I I can't present it like that. You know, I have to go, I have to empathize with them. Uh, I have to tell them, you know, hey, this sucks. You know, I know that this sucks. But there are people in Afghanistan and Iraq right now who absolutely would want to be in your shoes. And so I need you to suck it up, go put your ruck on, and get out and go do it. And, you know, just... They don't don't buy it. I mean... I've got to fake it anyway, because they don't want to see me. The last thing they need is for me to you know, be dour about it as their leader. <laughs> Finally, at the end, um, to wrap this up, then I, I asked Peter about where he felt like he fit into the grand scheme of things. Like you say, even when you're talking to your enlisted men, you it's your job to give them a view of how they fit into the bigger picture, right? That makes them feel like they have a purpose that's meaningful. So when do those moments happen for you in the Army, when you feel like, I'm doing something meaningful here. Wow. That's a lot of times I don't feel like I'm doing anything meaningful. It's a sad statement to say, but a soldier doesn't have a purpose unless he or she is at war. And 
I'm here in North Carolina. I'm supposed to be in Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever. And so on a day-to-day basis, creating purpose for myself and creating purpose for my soldiers, that's our daily battle. You have to find some sort of greater purpose somewhere. And what is that? That's preparing for the next war. That's where that is. Um, You look at the soldier and say, hey, I know we're not at war right now. I know we're not in a war zone right now. But this training that we're about to conduct is going to prepare you for that. And you have to, you have to believe that. Um, You have to absolutely believe that one day, this thing that you're doing in Fayetteville, North Carolina, is going to save your life, wherever you may be in the future. Special thanks to Peter Nguyen for his time. Peter also tells great audio stories. You can find him on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash peter nguyen 215 Nguyen is N-G-U-Y-E-N. So go follow him there, listen to his stories that he's told. Um, Please leave us a comment at SoundCloud. Let us know what other careers you might like us to delve into or other subjects about writing you'd like to hear about. If you'd like to contact me, Stephen Hopkins, you can find me on my Twitter handle. It's at SeeMyLittleMe or email me at StephenWHopkins at gmail.com. That's Stephen with a V. Music from this episode is from TwinMusicHome.org and Freesound.org. This has been Writing Questions, where we explore the role of writing in our lives and cultures. See you next time. (laughs) 